0: Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I have with me Dr Rebecca Gibbs who is an obstetrics and gynaecological consultant at the Royal Free Hospital in London and she's also an ambassador for the most amazing charity called the Daisy Network. So welcome Rebecca to the podcast. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. So we connected not that long ago, a few months ago by a mutual friend actually and it's really interesting to hear not only about your work but your journey and also the charity as well. So In half an hour I want to try and (laughs) get as much as possible from you about each of those three areas, if that's possible. So let's just start off, Obzangi. Why did you choose it and what led you down this career? Goodness. So
1: women are fascinating. I think you have to start with that. And As a medical student, I found myself sitting in on obstetrics and gynaecology clinics where women would talk about everything. They come in and tell you that their periods were heavy, for example, but then you end up in a really long conversation with them about what that means for their life, for their sex life, what they do at work, all sorts of interesting things that come out of those conversations. You have a really privileged access to Mm. women's lives. And it's so nice to be able to make a difference by quite often doing relatively straightforward things. You get to fix stuff. So whether that's prescribing some medication that suddenly means that You know, your periods aren't awful and aren't making your work life really tricky, or whether you're doing some actually relatively straightforward surgery to fix a problem that's really being impacting on someone's life. And it just felt like a natural fit. So I do really enjoy going to work.
0: Great. And so obstetrics, for those of you who don't know who are listening, is looking after women who are pregnant and delivery. And then gynecology is all the women's <laughs> health bits, aren't they? So, so do you specialise in one more than the other?
1: So I still do a bit of both. I would say that of my job is gynecology. And the area of gynecology that I work in is colposcopy. So I see women who've had an abnormal smear test, or vulval disease. So, you know, itchy, lumps or bumps, any conditions from the down below knicker area. And that's where quite a lot of my menopause work comes in, because a lot of those conditions are linked to the menopause Mm -hmm. or can be improved by sorting out people's hormones and then I suppose other 20% of my job is running around a labour ward delivering babies (laughs) working with midwives and junior doctors sometimes at three in the morning sometimes during working hours but it's it's a lovely balance between the two very very different areas of obstetrics and gynaecology you see every aspect of being a woman and it's constantly interesting, no two days are the same. Mm-hmm. And
0: I think you're absolutely right there, aren't you? It is a real privilege being a mm. doctor. And certainly, you know, I learn so much every day about my patients, from yes. my patients as well. You know, they're constantly telling us things and helping us explore so much that we don't know sometimes and it's it's so different isn't it when you're at medical school it's all about a disease and it's very different because it's about how women respond to different diseases and conditions and and like you quite rightly say how it affects them whether it's in the workplace or at home as well which is so important isn't it oh definitely and I think one of the big things that I have learned as I've
1: experienced more personally and professionally learning about the menopause it's the little things or things that seem little that aren't so sleep for example Mm. if you're not sleeping because of your menopause symptoms you're going to be ratty with your kids and your husband you're not going to work very well work is going to be difficult and you don't learn about that at medical school you learn Mm. about that through talking to women and experiencing it every single day I learn something it's really true yeah
0: And it's so important because it's the way diseases or even not the disease, if you talk about menopause, which is a natural process, can have a very negative effect, not just in the workplace, but at home, like you say as well, and on relationships. And if they're not managed earlier, that's when problems just get worse and worse, don't they? totally. They really, really do. So you mentioned, or you you mentioned just briefly then about your personal journey, Mm. because you're you're young, aren't you? So (laughs) Well, well, you're younger
1: than me. Okay, fine. So uh, I'm 37. And it's funny, obstetrics and gynecology training. So, uh, you know, you go to medical school, you choose to specialise. There's this training programme that's meant to take about seven years to get through, but most people, it takes them about a decade to do. And You learn a little bit about the menopause in it, but it tends to be in sort of teaching sessions on a Friday afternoon rather than anything really integrated Mm. within your training. Because a lot of menopause is now managed and managed brilliantly by GPs and specialists in community gynecology. So I didn't really think that much about the menopause and then would occasionally have a patient come in to see me in clinic about something else and they bring their HRT and I'd sort of look at it and think oh my goodness I don't know what that preparation is. Mm. It wasn't until my husband and I started having fertility treatment so I fully admit I was quite smug about it. We started trying to have a baby when I was 29 and I really thought that actually for a young professional couple we Got ahead of the game a bit then. Mm. I mean, you know, the stereotypical doctor starts having babies in their mid late 30s, but nope, we were ahead and it just didn't happen. And I'd been having fairly normal, regular periods, but when I started having blood tests as part of my fertility investigations, my FSH, so the blood test that we use to look at sort of menopause, slowly climbed every single time I had a blood test we're incredibly lucky we live in lovely Tower Hamlets in East London where you still get three rounds of IVF on the NHS many women aren't so lucky I know exactly really fortunate but unfortunately every time I was given the drugs to try and make my ovaries produce eggs I was getting the sort of yield of eggs you would expect in someone in their 40s not you know just turning 30 And my blood test started changing to fit with that. And by the time we were having our third round of IVF, I was having proper menopausal symptoms. Now, Mm. I didn't really think that much at the time because some of the hormones that you're given for your IVF cycle, they suppress those hormones. And so you do feel menopausal and lots of women going through IVF. It'll be their first taste of what a hot flush feels like but they just didn't go away. And I was diagnosed with premature ovarian insufficiency, so popularly known as premature menopause. When I was, gosh, sort of 31, 32, I started taking HRT at 32 Admittedly, having resisted it, I didn't want to accept that that was happening and that that was my diagnosis, like many women go through. Ridiculously, it was the fact that one of my best friends and I took up roller skating one summer. I managed to fall over and fracture my wrist. And it was a horrible, horrible wake up call that if I didn't take my HRT, I was going to end up with broken bones. And My wrists, as someone who does surgery, I mean, they're important to everyone, but I couldn't operate. I Mm. had six weeks of being unable to go to labor ward and deliver babies, of being unable to scrub in for surgery. And it was this horrible wake up call that I'm sure my bones weren't brittle at that point. But my goodness, hormones are important.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we see this a lot, actually, women who have gone to fertility clinics and have been told, oh, it might be your menopause. But actually, a lot of these women are quite pleased because they say, well, the periods have done me no favours because I'm not pregnant. Yes. And actually, wouldn't it be good for them to be stopped? But then what saddens me as a menopause specialist is that very few patients get given any proper information about the menopause, how safe HRT is for young women, and also the health risks of not having your hormones. Yeah. You know, like you've alluded to, it's not just your bones are too at risk is it if you don't have your hormones it isn't
1: and I think I mean everyone who has premature ovarian insufficiency premature menopause diagnosis comes to it from a different perspective I think the fertility one is really interesting because Mm. the fertility industry is built on hope it constantly during our treatment my husband and I were told you know when they'd only harvested four eggs but some of my age you'd kind of expect maybe three or four times that amount Never mind. It only takes one. Maybe one of these will be the egg that makes mm. a baby. And I knew that that probably wasn't going to happen. But well, I go for my follow up appointments with my husband, and my blood test results would be up on the screen, and the gynecologist and I would kind of, you know, make eye contact and say, "Yeah." this isn't great, is it? My poor non-medic husband wouldn't be told anything about it. And he'd sort of work out what was going on from my facial expressions. Mm. And nobody ever actually told me, you know what, Rebecca, your ovaries just aren't going to work. Instead, the conversation was, well, we can improve the success rates if we use some donor eggs instead. Now, yes, That's the thing. And if your chief objective is you're going to have a baby, donor eggs, fantastic. Many women have children with donor eggs. We chose not to. Um, But nobody ever really sat me down and said, right, so you are menopausal and you need to take some HRT so that, you know, your, your cardiac risk factors yes, are improved yeah. so that you're less likely to get Alzheimer's disease in the future. And those conversations didn't happen until much, much later when I pushed to go and see a menopause specialist. So I think women diagnosed through fertility clinics have some slightly additional struggles to deal with that.
0: Yeah, and it's totally true. We we see a lot of women who have in the past gone through fertility mm. clinics and they still never been offered hormones at all. Yes. And, you know, we're very fortunate we have um, John Hughes, who's a gynecologist in Worcester, who who's a fertility specialist, you might know him, and he just does some remote consultations for us on women who are really quite confused because, you know, a lot of women think you can't take HRT if you're trying to get pregnant. Exactly. And that's not true at all, is it? No,
1: it's not. HRT is not a contraceptive. And Mm. one of the really nice things about working with the Daisy Network is that a lot of the women who are members and who sort of chat with us on our our Facebook group and through the charity are still hoping to become mothers. And we talk about, you know, what forms of HRT you can be on that still leave that option open. And they know that they're incredibly unlikely to fall pregnant spontaneously. Very occasionally, it does happen. And if you are continuing to have regular sex and taking a form of HRT that's, you know, not a Mirena coil, for example, it might happen. And leaving that sort of window open can be a really positive thing in coming to terms with the diagnosis or, or trying to work out
0: what you do next if children are still on the agenda. Yeah, and I think so. I mean, we've had two pregnancies, actually, oh, in our clinic, and lovely. both times the receptionist said, oh, gosh, there would been a problem <laughs> if you're not consulted yes. about contraception. And, and actually, both times, the ladies have burst into tears when they've found out oh. they're so exhausted. But That's actually, lovely. we do know that giving the right dose and type of HRT can improve fertility mm. for some women. I mean, it depends on the reason, clearly, doesn't yes. it, for... Well, POI. if someone's had their ovaries removed or damaged then it's less likely certainly if they've had a hysterectomy they're yes, not going to exactly. <laughs> get pregnant so I wouldn't want people to listen and have false hope but actually no no I saw someone in my clinic actually a couple of weeks ago who has symptoms related to long Covid but a lot of them are oh. menopausal symptoms as yeah. well and she was going to have her first round of IVF when the first lockdown came So she didn't have it, had all these symptoms as well, and her periods have been very scanty. And so she was worried about having HRT because of wanting to start fertility treatment as soon as lockdown finishes for the second time. But actually, she can have HRT and she's already, you know, thankfully checked with her consultant who said, yes, that's fine. So she's going to start and I'm sure it will make her feel so much better because... I mean, the psychological impact of the menopause is huge. Massive. And the psychological impact of fertility treatment and reduced fertility is massive as well, isn't it? It's huge. Also, there's the fact that by the time you're going to have IVF, you probably don't really want
1: to have sex anymore. And so if you've got awful menopausal symptoms that are impacting your libido as well, then, Mm. oh my goodness, absolutely not. So HRT in that time... Yeah, make yourself feel a little bit more like you Mm. and maybe you'll be able to get your sex life just a bit better, which is so important for a couple about to go through something really stressful that fertility treatment is.
0: So, yes. Absolutely. And, you know, lots of people I see in my clinic have come through some sort of marriage counselling or a lot of them have left their partners. So actually for the partner of the person, they see this person who's changed because of the menopause. and they're blaming it on the stress anxiety poor sleep because of the fertility but actually it might be related to menopause there's a big overlap isn't there
1: there's a massive overlap and you know anything that you can do to get yourself through that time feeling a bit more like you with a clearer head to make those decisions about what next is so so important Mm. really important
0: It is very hard and I've certainly over the last few years really tried to engage with a lot of fertility clinics and networks about menopause, about giving information out to women and there's been quite a lot of resistance and I think some of it is just due to poor education and lack of knowledge of how big the problem probably is. Oh definitely and
1: there is so much that we could do to improve training for general obstetricians and gynaecologists. You know fertility doctors do wonderful, amazing, incredible Mm. things. But if you're going to be a fertility specialist in the UK, you've normally decided that pretty early in your career as an obstetrician and gynecologist. So fertility specialists in the UK, for example, generally don't deliver babies, they they generally just do fertility. And so your average obstinate doctor has done, you know, had a few teaching sessions to learn a bit about menopause. Fertility doctor's probably even less. You know, off they go. They learn how to literally make babies. It's just incredible. But the joined up thinking with the rest of menopause and being a general gynecologist isn't always there.
0: No, which is really sad to hear, isn't it? Because you mentioned earlier about the health risks. So talk us through, if you don't mind, Rebecca, why do women who have early menopause have these future health risks?
1: So... This is something that comes up so often with our online chats with our Daisy Network members, because, again, going back to the fertility thing, this ends up being the focus. But the reality is, is that if you don't have those estrogen levels of someone in your age group, your body essentially ages and you start ending up with problems that you'd normally expect much, much later on in life you can prevent them and reduce those risks by taking your HRT, so the estrogen that you need to top yourself back up again. But the things that we really worry about are bone health. So you are at an increased risk of osteoporosis and then hence fractures of your bones if you've got low estrogen levels. We worry about cardiac risk as well. So women with early menopause or premature ovarian insufficiency can end up with sort of cardiac problems earlier than they would do otherwise. And there's also evidence that it affects memory as well. So there's an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease, for example, if you're not taking your hormone replacement therapy. It's never too late. And I think that's really, Mm. really important to know. I've met several women who have resisted taking HRT after their diagnosis because they just haven't felt ready to do it or they've been scared of potential risk factors, which it's really, really important to remember. All you're doing is you're topping up your hormones to the levels of your peers. So risk factors are minimal. But if you haven't taken your HRT for a decade and you've been diagnosed with osteoporosis, talk to a menopause specialist about starting some anyway because there are still benefits and still things that can work
0: absolutely and hrt is actually licensed isn't it as a treatment for osteoporosis it is but, uh, yes <laughs> yes um, but but you're right it's never too late but it's interesting because you said that you resisted starting mm. hrt and you are talking as someone know. who has some knowledge so I why know. did you resist it because i didn't want to feel old i mean mm. it is a it's interesting fact, isn't it yeah. i
1: was 32 coming to terms with this massive diagnosis here mm. you know, my husband and I are both very sensible pragmatic people we had actively chosen you know exactly when we were going to start planning to have a baby and it was going to fit in with our careers and our lives I must admit at the back of my mind I probably did know that HRT wasn't contraceptive and wasn't going to stop anything from happening but the idea of taking hormones was slightly terrifying my mother and her peer group are very much of the age of women affected by the million women study. So they all think that HRT mm. is very, very bad indeed. So growing up, you know, the chat was very much, don't take it. it, it's terrible, you'll end up with cancer. And I think honestly, think had it not been for breaking my wrist, I probably would have resisted it even longer. It was a few months after my diagnosis that I found myself linking in with the Daisy Network and sort of saying, you know, hi, I'm a gynecologist who's recently been diagnosed. I'd love to meet some people who understand what this feels like, but also I think I might be able to provide you guys with a little bit of extra medical help if you need it. And it was meeting all of those wonderful women that actually really brought home to me that, you know, here are thousands of young women taking their HRT living happy productive healthy lives they're fine and I'll be fine too but it, it was a big thing to start taking it yeah
0: it's so interesting isn't it so I started taking HRT when I was in my mid-40s so I was really very average perimenopausal yeah. woman who didn't diagnose my symptoms <laughs> for quite a few months <laughs> yeah, absolutely which is pretty standard but even when I told some of my friends that I started taking HRT they said gosh doesn't that make you feel really old? Exactly. And And they, then they said, well, what about your fertility? It means you can't have children. And I, I mean, I'm very fortunate I've got three children and I was sterilised in my third. I don't I wasn't, exactly. I didn't know. But it was still that negative connotation and that's when it really made me reflect and think, gosh, if I was 25 or 35, not 45, how would I feel? And oh, yeah. and it shouldn't be because HRT is so much safer than the combined oral contraceptive so pill. So much safer
1: absolutely and I was on that for quite a lot of my Mm. teens and 20s without a second thought but unfortunately any scare messages about HRT for women going through menopause at the expected age filter down into the premature Mm. ovarian insufficiency community my own mother when I sort of mentioned that I was going to start taking it well you can't that's terribly dangerous Mm. and really, really frustrating.
0: <laughs> and it, it is incredible. I mean, every time I prescribe HRT through the computer, it comes up with warnings. Yes. And actually, the MHRA have updated their warnings to say that it should be given for the lowest dose for the shortest length uh. of time. Now, that is completely wrong, isn't it? Yes.
1: It really, really, really is. One of my most inspiring patients, perhaps the woman I talk about the most to my patients when I'm prescribing, is 90 and is still mm. taking her HRT. She has a pump of estrogen gel every other day and she goes swimming in the ladies' ponds in Hampstead most mornings throughout the winter and she is living a wonderful, productive, yes. happy life. It's something that gives her a bit of sort of extra pep she feels wonderful and if any doctor tried to take away her HRT now I mean what are you doing it's yes, awful absolutely keep, you keep, wouldn't you wouldn't living
0: totally well you wouldn't stop someone's thyroxine would you no <laughs> totally. well, you would you? no a certain age and that's how you, you it needs wouldn't. to be seen doesn't I it, think you? so that's a lovely comparison
1: actually an extra bit of hormonal boost to keep yourself going and
0: thyroxine yeah really important so is mm. HRT Absolutely. And and certainly with younger women, often they need higher doses they of estrogen, do. don't they? So and that's really important because I see a lot of women who say, yeah, no, I'm not better than I was. I'm only having 10 hot flashes a day and I was having 40. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: And, and I'm on the maximum dose. And actually, we then often give double the maximum dose yep. or triple. And yep. then we often get letters from doctors from GPs to say, how dare you give them such a high dose? They're going to drop oh, dead yeah. from a heart attack or stroke or... Or breast cancer, and of course none of those are related with estrogen anyway, but you have to get the right dose to... Like you say, replace what your body should otherwise be producing, don't you?
1: Yes, that's a really important one. And it's something we come up a lot on the Daisy Network. So we have a series of live chats where gynecologists like me talk to our members and any advice we give, we're very clear about the fact that, you know, you must discuss that with your GP or your menopause specialist. But we will often talk to women about how If we were seeing them, we'd have them on a much, much higher dose of oestrogen than they're taking. And questions will come up over and over again. Well, you know, my gynecologist says that would be negligent. I'm on the maximum dose. And... No, you know, they're on a normal dose for a woman in their 50s, but they're 25 mm. and they're floridly symptomatic and they're miserable and they would be so much happier if they mm. just increased those doses.
0: Yes. They and really would. And that's estrogen doses, isn't it? Because yes, it's very estrogen. important to have adequate estrogen. Absolutely. And then women who still have their womb obviously need to have a type of progesterone yep. or progestogen, depending. And then testosterone as well oh, yeah. is another hormone which... I don't know about you, but I learned nothing about in medical school or as a postgraduate. No, no, nothing about at all. And
1: so I decided to do an extra menopause qualification. So very much inspired by my work with the Daisy Network and with my own diagnosis. So I did something called a advanced training skills module. And I I spent most of the year sitting in clinics with menopause specialists and learning how to do it. And the first thing I really learned about testosterone was when women came in saying, I'd like some, please. And yes. it's fantastic that women are starting to talk about this. Mm. I worry sometimes that it's not a message that gets through to everyone. And yeah. the women coming to talk to me about testosterone were you know, very much the educated, good at accessing health systems, good at you know getting their GP to refer them to the right people. But again, it makes a tremendous difference. And I think a lot of our young women aren't on it or have difficulty getting hold of it when it really would give them a bit of a boost and make them feel a lot better.
0: Yeah and it's interesting isn't it so as women we produce more testosterone Mm. than estrogen. Yes. Yet it's always thought of as the male hormone and Certainly, my clinic prescribes probably the largest amount of testosterone in the UK. (laughs) I I, I think you do, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But I didn't know anything about it. And um, it was only sitting in clinics. And like you, I've got an advanced certificate. And actually, I've read a lot about it. And sadly, there's not enough about it. And there's a lot of talk, and it's mentioned in the NICE guidance about libido. And yes, libido is very important for women. But actually... More important than libido is our mood, energy, mm, concentration, motivation, definitely. everything else as well. And it's not as easy as an on-off switch with libido in women. It's not no, just a, no, no, no. a hormone, is it? But actually, we found and we've done some research this in my clinic that women taking testosterone, their psychological symptoms improve. Oh, yeah. And that's really more important often. And certainly, if as a woman you're feeling better about yourself, you've got more energy, yeah. you're happier, you're more likely to have sex anyway. Definitely. So, but all the studies and the conferences I go to, they're always talking about libido, the number of times a woman has sex. And yes, sex is very important. I'm not shy talking no, about sex. No. But we don't need to be defined as the number of times we have sex. It's about everything else as well, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I could make lots and lots of really quite not so politically correct comments about how it's men in charge of these things. And that's why number of times people have sex becomes this sort of benchmark. Mm. But I mean, my classic patient coming in asking for testosterone that I would see in the clinic when I was getting my qualification would be a woman at the peak of their career. You know, they Mm. are in their early 50s, and they have been promoted as high as they can go. They're managing a couple of teenagers at home who are Difficult, as I think teenagers, I certainly was as a teenager. And they're exhausted. They can't concentrate. They're miserable. Everything is really difficult. And then they get a bit of testosterone, and life is just so much easier to manage. And mm. And they go back to being them again. And they've quite often managed to get some HRT prescribed by their GP, but the testosterone tends to be that thing that they have to fight for on top of it. So it's really yeah, difficult.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's totally wrong, because it's not licensed, is it, for women? No. Which is, I think, scandalous and rather so outrageous yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're not allowed, and it used to be, there used to be a patch that we could prescribe, but it's been withdrawn just because the company doesn't make mm-hmm. the patches anymore. So there is a move, and I think there should be a more of a campaign, actually, to get testosterone prescribed for women. I don't know what you think, but oh, it's...
1: I definitely, definitely do. And I think actually, when you look at the relatively few risks involved to taking it, I think it should be something that, you know, if you're a GP who is confident Mm. prescribing other forms of HRT, you should be able to do it. These women shouldn't have to fight to see a menopause specialist necessarily. So GPs in the NHS have this function that they can use called advice and guidance, where they sort of ping off a little note to a gynecologist. And I often find myself answering those queries. And I will often say, look, I'm very happy for you to prescribe testosterone for this woman. If you'd like them seen in a specialist clinic, certainly refer them in. But why don't you start the testosterone first so they then don't have to wait for ages? We can review and see how they're getting on. But writing the prescription, is not a big deal. And let's try. But there's often a lot of resistance.
0: There is. And I think it's because of lack of education, actually, because it is... One of the safest things I've ever prescribed as a doctor, yes. actually. Yes. Um, it has very few problems. We do do some blood monitoring, but it's very seldom that women have levels outside the normal range. So Certainly. it's very, very important that we. Um, it's considered, and women have more confidence actually in being asked for it. And yeah. so many women are refused it. That's it. They just they don't know where else to go, and no. I think. GP should be able to prescribe it. We prescribe a lot of things off licence. So yes. for example there are various treatments for migraines that mm. are not licensed for that indication but they're still given. There's lots of medications for children and certainly for pregnant women. Yeah. Certainly, this oh, most absolutely most things are off license. Are
1: off license. Yes. And I think you raise a really, really good point about thinking of testosterone not only being about libido because it's quite a big thing, particularly during a national pandemic to well global pandemic to walk into your GP surgery and say, you know what, I want this hormone to improve my sex life. It seems really quite indulgent and quite bold to ask yes. for. If we all accepted that testosterone is a normal thing for a Women to require and it's going to improve your energy level drive your mood then asking for it from your GP not such a big deal
0: after all so yeah it really needs a bit of remarketing I totally I mean the whole menopause needs rebranding yes. it needs to be thought of as a long-term hormone deficiency with health risks and yes. certainly as you've so eloquently said for younger women it's really they need to be thinking why aren't they on HRT oh, rather definitely. than why should they take it. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So and much work. Certainly the Daisy Network is a great platform for people to go to to get some advice, help, support during this time. And so certainly any of you who are listening, it's certainly worth checking out and seeing what they do. So yeah. I'm really grateful, Rebecca, for all your time today to share and and sharing because it is a personal story and it's quite hard sometimes as a doctor sharing but it really will help other people to um, listen and learn from so thank you so before we end could I just ask for three take-home tips and just three things that you would say to yourself maybe when you were thinking about not taking HRT what would you say that might help you Gosh
1: goodness. So, the first message really is is the medical message. You know, take it, you will feel better. And I must admit, I hadn't realised how symptomatic I was until I started taking it and suddenly could sleep better and felt less moody and my joints didn't ache so much. So, take it, you will feel better. Take it because you will reduce your long-term health risks. It's a big diagnosis to get your head around. But actually, you don't want to be soaring up long-term problems for the future. You want to reduce your risk of all of those unpleasant things that we've discussed and live a long and healthy life. And I suppose something else is learning to be a little bit of a pushy patient. So Mm. as women, you know, we're conditioned to not make a fuss and to always listen attentively to what our doctor says and sort of, you know, nod and say that's okay. But if you do think that you're not getting the support you need from your GP, you know, they're not really listening to what's going on with your symptoms, just be a little bit firmer or go and see if there's someone else in your GP's practice who you get on with brilliantly. I have to say now, I'm the luckiest woman in the world. My GP is fantastic, but find someone who will listen and who will advocate for you. It's so important.
0: Absolutely. That is so important. It shouldn't be a battle, no. but it is for some people. And it's really important that you stand your ground, look at information, make sure you look at the guidelines. The nice guidance have got some good really clear advice for women with POI so yes don't stand down and hold your ground really important so yes thank you ever so much it's been really important a real joy talking to you so thank you Rebecca
1: thank you so much for having me on it's been really lovely to chat
0: for more information about the perimenopause and menopause you can go to my website menopausedoctor.co.uk Or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.